0: Hi, everyone. This is Rohan Tadanti, and welcome to the Wharton Digital Health Podcast. It's a podcast where MBAs can connect with the alumni community about the latest trends, company initiatives, and jobs available in the payer-provider, digital health, and investing spaces. Today, we are lucky to have Imran Kronk, a recent Penn graduate and current CEO of Ride Health. He has held a variety of roles across the healthcare services landscape and also has significant research experience. Ride Health is a digital health startup, which makes it simple for health plans, ACOs, and providers to arrange transportation for patients across the continuum of care. Welcome Imran.
1: Thanks for having me, Rohan. Great to be here.
0: Thanks so much for getting on the podcast. And uh, I want to right off the bat say it's lovely to have a fellow traveler on the podcast. And by that I mean uh, sort of a non-HCM-er, if you will, uh, outsider looking in. Uh, who was welcomed by the community with open arms? Um I myself am not an HCM. I know uh, you on the an undergraduate, you're the president of the uh, healthcare club as as an undergrad or in the arts and sciences community. So I love seeing uh, someone scaling a digital health startup who has been welcomed by the HCM and uh, Wharton Healthcare community.
1: yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been a really wonderful community to, to be a part of, uh, you know back in my undergrad days they, they, kind of, uh, relented when I kept on asking to to come to the NBA healthcare club events and they eventually put me on the listserv. So yeah, great to, great to be a part of the community here.
0: Awesome. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, a lot of exciting things to talk about today. Let's start with, um, we'll start with you. Could you give us just a brief summary of your career path after Penn and how you got to ride?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So at, at Penn, I focused on, uh, uh, in the college, uh, Health and Societies, which was all about the social determinants uh, that impact people's ability to access care and engage with it. Uh, and it also had a healthy dose of healthcare management uh, classes in, in Wharton. And uh, immediately after uh, undergrad, I, I went to Mount Sinai Health System here in New York, uh, where I, I still am, and uh, took a role in their network development group that was uh, essentially uh, acquiring practices across the five boroughs of New York, to drive their population health strategy so it was a very interesting process to see and all the while i was kind of building up uh, ride health and uh in may of 2017 was able to quit sinai and go into ride health full-time uh where i've been for, for about the past 18 months here
0: awesome love to hear it uh, i think we like to start broad in the podcast generally and then try to try to narrow it down so um I want to start with Access, and that's where I'm going to couch Ride, and I'd love for you to tell me that Ride Health is not in the Access column, and so we can, we can talk through that, but um, if you could give a very brief overview of the company, uh, the product, and a sense of the customers, and then really I want to zoom out back to Access uh, and talk about how people get care and, and why we need a company like Ride. So if you could start with just a very brief overview of the company, we're going to dive into the Ride Health story a little later on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what we offer is a uh, really a, a, an ecosystem, uh, and part of that ecosystem is a web-based platform that uh, healthcare uh, organizations such as health systems and accountable care organizations and health plans, as well as some non-governmental organizations like the American Cancer Society, uh, use to arrange uh, transportation for patients. And the specific end users are uh, care coordinators and social workers, uh, nurse navigators, discharge planners, anyone who would have uh, a hand in helping patients navigate the healthcare system. And uh, so that's that's really the, the focus of, of the product. And then we bundle that with services, where uh, we help organizations create transportation programs that help arrange the right ride for the right patient at the right time by taking a look at uh, their demographic data to understand which of their patients live in transportation deserts, uh, give them screening tools to, at an individual level, assess a patient's need and design an appropriate transportation intervention for them. And this is all aimed at driving upside clinical and operational and financial value for the organization, and of course, maximizing access
0: for their patients and members. Excellent. Excellent. And who are the pay- who is paying, just so we can get a sense of that? Yeah, so
1: the organization itself pays for the ride. So if it's a hospital or health system they're paying, if it's a health plan, you know, they're covering it as a part of their benefits package. Um, if it's an ACO, you know, they cover it out of their operational budget. And uh, so the patients don't pay for the rides. Uh, it's all paid for and arranged by uh, the organization. And we partner with uh, third-party transportation providers. So, uh, you know, it, it's really a comprehensive network. Uh, we work with Uber to cover rides on the curb-to-curb side of the spectrum. Uh, we also work with uh, local non-emergency medical transportation providers to cover uh, patients who need door-to-door service so some help getting from the door to the vehicle and then to the door of the facility uh, door through door as well stretcher vans and all the way up to uh, advanced life support and basic life support ambulances so it's really that entire spectrum we pay the transportation providers for the costs incurred when we turn around an invoice the uh, healthcare organization, and then we also charge a platform fee on top of that just for access to our services based on the number of ride coordinators they have uh, using the platform.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is exciting. Okay, so you're, you're, I mean, I know we're supposed to get to broader access and industry trends. We're going to do that in a second, but for our listeners, um, you probably just heard six or seven uh, massive trends that I think Ride Health is uh is riding, if you will. So uh social determinants in general, one of the hottest um areas of healthcare right now, they're they're clearly tackling that head on. Um they're also partnering with tech companies, which I think is one of the hotter trends in the space. And you can see Uber there. Uh, it's a platform play in addition to being a pure services play. So getting people what they need um tracked by a technology. Uh, there's so many ways. I think that uh, the company is exciting. Before we dive into ride health specifically, can you give us more of a sense of of the industry? So my one of my questions was that when we talk about access, um, that word, that controlled word in the industry, we usually think of uh, people having a form of health insurance so that they can then get care. Um, so can you just give us a sense of? Do you think transportation is often left out of that? access conversation um, and if so if so why or why not
1: yeah that's a great question and a great observation and a nuanced one um, so I, I think to some degree transportation certainly has been underappreciated as a uh, as a component of the broader access pillar or, or uh, to, to, to use some of the terminology developed first at, at wharton as the access part of the iron triangle that organizations and policymakers are trying to expand. Um, And and so in many ways, I think transportation is now uh, on the tip of a lot of people's tongues because um, if you go to conferences, you you hear people talking about it a lot now, more so than they used to. However, in some ways, we've always known that transportation was an issue, um, that you you could deliver the best care you wanted, but it didn't really matter if, if nobody could get there or if if particular patients couldn't get there. Um, The Medicaid program has had transportation as an assured benefit since it was established in the 1960s, because there was this notion
0: that transportation was a critical piece. So I think in some ways we've always recognized it as a society. Could you tell us what that means? What's an assured benefit? Why that's a lever for a business like yours?
1: Yeah, yeah, so, uh, so the Medicaid program, you know, the, the the federal state partnership to cover low income and disabled Americans, uh, has had non-emergency medical transportation as a requirement for state Medicaid programs and for the Medicaid managed care organizations that, uh, work with states to take care of some lives, actually the majority of lives these days. Um, transportation's always been considered a, a core part of that, uh, of the the supportive services needed to make sure that that Medicaid beneficiaries can actually get to and from care because one of the key uh, constraints on transportation access is affordability Um, and and that you often see that then in uh, folks who are are lower on the socioeconomic um, strata so um, so what that what that looks like in real life is this system of uh, centrally managed and brokerized Transportation services for Medicaid members that is um, just kind of uh, a little bit uh, a little bit of a devil that the system knows in that um, you know uh, members can can call like a dial a ride service and they can get uh, you know somebody to arrange a ride for them but um, you know and it's these large brokerages that work with entire states or across multiple states, and they you know arrange the ride but patients are frequently picked up. Uh, late or not picked up at all, or they're dropped off late and missed their appointments, or you know, they need to get picked up after their appointment, but they end up waiting several hours. Um, so it's sort of notoriously unreliable and, uh, you know, underserving the, the already underserved, making it more difficult for them to engage with care. And, uh, you go and ask any social worker or care coordinator at a facility or, or clinic across the country, they're going to have complaints and horror stories about patients, um, enduring the current in the status quo uh, of medical transportation, and yeah. um, so it's it's good that as a society we've realized transportation is important to invest in, but the service delivery model leaves much to be desired.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to get into that in a second. I just want to stick to some of these levers. So the fact that Medicaid uh, has a, is an assured benefit of, of non-emergency transportation, that's fantastic. But the flip side of the coin is that Medicaid assured benefits aren't always drivers of innovation just because Medicaid reimbursement levels are so low. I, I haven't often heard a founder say, oh, we looked at Medicaid and then decided, you know, um, that it would be an attractive business to get into. So I, we, I'd love to get into that later, just as far as, I'm sure there are other drivers um, that you thought of for Ride Health. But while we're on the, the, the topic of levers, can we go just into some headwinds? Because your business, uh, your industry is fascinating because you're touching on so many things that are not thought of as just typical healthcare. Um, You're riding trends, I would say, such as car ownership, urbanization, ride-sharing services, um, smart cities. I mean, there's kind of tons of trends that are going in different directions, and I think all net positive for ride health, but they're going in different directions. What are some of the mega-trends, you know, tailwinds and headwinds that you see where where you're like, Hey, ten thousand, you know, people are turning sixty-five every day. That helps ride health for X reason. You know, what what kind of things do you think about as far as the headwinds and tailwinds?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, so, I guess to start, um, you know, the, the the current status quo of, of Medicaid-funded rides uh, is a little bit vulnerable because the government actually has um, indicated that it will come out with a proposed rule next year. To make transportation not a requirement uh, for Medicaid uh, programs and and MCOs, uh, which would have a, a pretty destabilizing impact on the current system of of Medicaid transportation. So that's one regulatory change that you know could be seismic um, yeah. to the status yeah. quo. But another, another one that I think is more of a more of a also the interesting thing is that that's actually a tailwind for us because it. It, it makes health systems and other stakeholders need to step up a little bit more to fill that potential gap. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, so, yeah. so in some ways, you know, we'll be able to be, to be fine. And, and, and it kind of validates our, our model that this is something that can't just be siloed within Medicaid It has to be a partnership between health plans and programs and, and the patient's providers at the end of the day. Uh, but if you look at the Medicare side, um, you know, the program for over 65, and as you mentioned, that's one of the largest-growing demographics uh, in the nation, if not the largest. Um, there, uh, there are new rules that were put in place based on the Chronic Care Act earlier this year that give Medicare Advantage plans, the, the private form of, of Medicare, the flexibility to offer supplemental benefits to patients, including things like home-delivered meals and installing bars in the shower to prevent Falls, and non-emergency transportation to appointments. So now you have every Medicare Advantage plan all over the country starting to think about how do we offer transportation? How do we decide which members to offer it to so that we're not offering it to everybody, even those who already have a way of getting to and from and navigating their appointments? So you know, we're, that's a really exciting conversation because Medicare Advantage is a program with, with over 20 million people covered by it. that uh, heretofore has had little to no investment in transportation. For those beneficiaries. Um, so that's a significant you know, uh, tailwind as well. And I think you're right that, that there's a lot of interesting things happening in the future of mobility and uh, the uh, proliferation of new modes of transportation and more digitally connected modes of transportation. Not just Uber and Lyft, which are often talked about, but even among the thousands of traditional medical transportation companies, the mom and pop organizations that are in every community across the country, many of them are adapting. Uh, cloud-based tools to manage their scheduling and dispatch, and we have ways of connecting into those tools that they're adapting to bring Uber and Lyft-like uh, coordination and integration to those traditionally, um, you know, siloed and manual uh, and less efficient modes of transportation. So I think you're going to start to see a much more competitive medical transportation market, and that benefits us as as an ecosystem orchestrator among. Transportation providers, uh, yeah. sources of demand like healthcare systems and health plans, yeah. uh, patients and their caregivers. Um, you know, so really all of these changes, uh, headwinds and tailwinds, can be viewed as good things for us as ecosystem orchestrators. Because at the end of the day, people are always going to need to get to and from care. Uh, even with telemedicine, which is another big trend, um, you know, people always have some type of real-world uh, you know, interaction that follows a telemedicine appointment. Even if it's just going to the pharmacy to pick up something they right. were prescribed, they still have to go somewhere.
0: Right, right, right. So, just I, I spoke over you there for our listeners. He was saying, "Tell the tell, mess and trend." Um, folks still have to go somewhere um, for lots of types of appointments, um, so that that benefits him. Yeah, uh, it's spoken like a true CEO. I mean, I, I love it. Every every headwind is a tailwind, but I I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. On the whole. Um, and for those who graduated uh, in the last kind of 13 years or so and took Doug Presence class, we all get scolded for not following um, trends in regulation close enough. But you can see Imran is clearly dialed in to um, both the stroke of the pen risk, if you will, but then also waves of Medicare Advantage regulation that's changing. And for those of us, I mean, just watching TV, you get bombarded with the Medicare Advantage ads because it's open enrollment. And I've actually seen what you talked about, which is the, the home transportation uh, being covered as supplemental benefits. So I love seeing actual advice we get, uh, in college and an MBA translate into the real life. So love hearing that. Um, I think it's time for me to get out of the way here and really just, we want to hear from you about the right health story. So if I can move us there, um, there's probably so much to talk about, but if we can put the product aside just for a second and really talk about you and the inception of the company, um, and that story, uh, we'd love to hear just kind of how you got that off the ground and where it came from.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, as I mentioned in, in undergrad, I, I really focused on uh, health and society, so all about social determinants and policy, and then healthcare management on the administrative side. So I thought I'd spend the rest of my life uh, working in hospital administration or for CMS, you know, working on health policy. I'm very much a, an institutionalist, and um, I still am in some ways, but. Starting a company was the furthest thing from my mind possible. Um, it was never on my radar as a goal or anything. Um, and uh, that kind of started to change, though, uh, about five or six years ago. It was in the summer after my freshman year uh, of undergrad. And I was a volunteer in a hospital down in North Carolina, where I'm from originally. And I was doing the shift in the emergency department from 9 p.m. to midnight, uh, three nights a week. And uh there was one, I think it was a Friday night, uh, it was close to midnight, and there was this patient who was discharged uh from the emergency department out into the waiting room. And he uh went up to me and he told me that he didn't have any way to get home. He was kind of stuck. Um he had been taken there in an ambulance, you know, eight hours earlier and now he was being discharged, but no one had thought to ask how he was gonna get home. Uh so I suggested that he go over and talk to the nurses station see if they can help him out with something like a, a cab voucher or a bus pass. And uh, he went over there and he talked to them and explained his story. And they told him that uh, they didn't have anything for him and that the health system just couldn't afford that expense for everyone who needed it and that he had to figure something else out. So he uh, started wandering around, and I went up and I asked him, you know, what do, you, what do you plan to do? And he said uh, that he may try to walk home. And I asked him where he lived. And he described this area that was about eight or nine miles away from the facility. Uh, And it was a part of town I was familiar with, so I knew how far away it was. And uh, this guy was maybe 60, 65 years old. He was kind of off balance, staggering a little bit. And he told me that some medication he had been given during his stay had uh, compromised his vision, so he couldn't see very well. So no part of this sounded like a good idea for this guy to just go off into the night. Uh, right. The only thing I could think to do was to offer him a ride home, uh, and that's what ended up happening. He took me up on it, and uh, everything worked out just fine, but it was a little weird uh, driving a total stranger home in the middle of the night. You know? it, and, uh, it got the gears turned about why this had had to happen, why there wasn't some other sort of system or process or resource in place for patients like this, and You know, any of the folks listening who who have spent time, a meaningful amount of time in a hospital or other healthcare environment, this will be something that rings familiar, um, this type of circumstance where patients are kind of left hanging sometimes by a system. Um, So it it caused me to do a lot more research uh, into the uh, aspect of care that I never really thought about, which was transportation. You take it for granted, most of us do, and um, begin to realize that You know, there's, there's, this happens a lot and uh, there's 3.6 million or more Americans who miss or delay care every year just because of transportation barriers. And so I did more research and writing on the subject, uh, got a publication in the Atlantic and in Stat News, uh, as well as in Morning Consult on the subject. And that put me in touch with a lot of other people who were thoughtful about the same issue. And it became clear that there was an opportunity to Uh, put together an organization or an ecosystem that would bring together a lot of siloed stakeholders. So healthcare providers and uh, the care coordinators and social workers within them together with the patients and their families and caregivers together with the transportation providers across the spectrum, from your basic curb to curb rides all the way up to your most complex ambulance trips. Uh, And then, you know, bring the payers in from the insurance side to to coordinate everything. And uh, that concept of that ecosystem kind of, stayed with me. And so uh, as I was finishing up senior year of undergrad, a few years later, uh, there was the President's Innovation Prize. And um, I just on a whim kind of decided to enter it with Ride Health as the concept and uh, worked for three or four months on that. We got to the finals and we ended up losing. So uh didn't win the 100000 to to start the company and take the year you know, off from the real world. Um, so that was when I had to come to New York and, and, and had a great you know job and everything at Mount Sinai, but was still inspired to to see what could happen with Ride Health on the side. Uh, so it took about ten months, and then uh, in, in May 2017, took the leap,
0: and then uh, here we are. Awesome! I love hearing that. Um, you don't get a lot of folks uh, who wake up and say, "I've always wanted to start a company." You know, I I've rarely heard that, but I loved how the inception came from a moment um, of real purpose. So it's nice to see you translate that. Can we get a sense of um, kind of where the, the trajectory, so where the company's at today, as much as you're comfortable sharing, maybe kind of the growth or kind of a sense of the customers or size, things like that, just so we can get a sense of where the company is.
1: Yeah, yeah, so uh, it, you know, we've been uh, growing pretty pretty quickly um, and a lot of it's happened this year. You know, Last year, 2017 was really spent Laying a lot of the foundation, building the initial product piloting um, and this year's been the year that it's all kind of come together so um, we're now in about twenty five states across the country um, and we're we're doing several hundred rides uh, per day um, whereas just ten months ago we were in four or five states and doing you know a dozen two dozen rides per day so it's been remarkable to see uh, that progress um, we We have ten full time uh, team members now. Uh where we started the year with, with just uh four. Um, and you know we work with health systems and, and health plans and ACOs and uh like I mentioned earlier the American Cancer Society uh, all across the country. And uh you know we, we really look forward to continuing to densify within those geographic areas where we've kind of planted those flags and uh creating networks um, between our transportation partners and Our customers and and patients and families Uh, so we're also like a seed stage company at the same time so we have to be very thoughtful about our our resources and where we focus Um, but uh, ultimately we have we have global hopes uh, because this is a problem that really impacts people all over the world Uh, so we don't see
0: this as just something that you know we'll work on within the u.s
1: um yeah. We so, yeah. have a long way to go. Wow.
0: Well, so I've got to imagine our friends on the investing side of the house are going to listen to this and start salivating because they're like, wait a second, this, this guy graduates a couple years ago. He's in 25 states. It's a platform play, so it doesn't really matter whether Uber or Lyft go down. There's always going to be other companies. He's the connector. It's a SaaS company with a platform fee in addition to the invoice. Um, and he scaled it virtually f- by bootstrapping. I mean, maybe some friends and family, whatnot, but not institutional money. Um, and he's in twenty-five states. A- anything I said that was wrong there? I mean, this sounds uh, pretty pretty amazing. I'm really impressed with your story.
1: Well, nothing's wrong there, um, but it's really been you know a lot of credit due to uh, the, the mentors who have uh, helped shape our, our, our vision. Uh, many of them from the the Penn and, and Wharton community, um, and given that I am, am relatively young and, and know relatively little, I've really relied on uh, their counsel and their advice and mentorship, and uh, the efforts of the folks who you know work on this day to day as well. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we really value having those mentors at the table, and, and for anyone who's listening and feels like they'd have something to add. And a perspective prospective offer and supports to offer, we're always happy to chat. Um, have, oh, wow,
0: point, and he's uh, humble for, for everyone listening. He's also humble. That's fantastic. Um, well, good. So let me ask you just a couple more questions about the company, and then we'll keep keep moving on. Um, what what are you finding that the market is demanding? Uh, because you, you seem to have a fairly unique product with such quick adoption. Uh, what is the market demanding? uh from you versus what do you think maybe some of your competitors are offering kind of what are, what are the differentiators there
1: Yeah I think one of the biggest differentiators is our our business model and and our pricing model uh and what i mean by that is you know a lot of entrants in this category and there's a few others that are kind of new technology enabled companies like like us uh, the temptation is to just price uh, on a simple per-ride basis. We do kind of a transaction fee where you say, hey, health system, hey, health plan. Uh, we'll give you the service, and, and every ride, you just pay us a couple of bucks on top, and uh, we're happy. The problem with that is that it aligns the incentives in such a way that uh, the transportation coordination entity uh, is incentivized to have the customer just arrange and pay for as many rides as possible. And it's a volume-driven type of dynamic. Uh, with, with us, what we do is we price based on the number of ride coordinators that an organization uh, puts on the platform. So it's kind of like more of a per-seat model. And what that does is it frees us up to pursue more of a program-based, consultative approach uh, where we're really helping an organization figure out how to arrange the right ride for the right patient at the right time. And we don't care how many rides we end up calling. Um, It's about putting in place the most effective and targeted program to drive upside clinical and financial and operational value. Uh, So, in other words, optimizing the ROI by helping organizations strategically use transportation not as a cost center and an obligatory thing they have to do in some cases, but really as an asset to help reduce those no-shows that they're seeing in their outpatient side, to reduce the delayed discharges that they're seeing on the inpatient side of the house, people are ready to go in the morning, but they don't get out until the evening because that's when somebody can come pick them up. Uh, And then also just improving patient satisfaction across the board or for health plans, improving member satisfaction, which ties to their star ratings, which ties to their uh, reimbursement and ties to their uh, ability to get bonuses to to improve their benefits. Uh, So, you know, all of these kinds of things are are our goals and our objectives. And they're aligned with our clients' goals and objectives. It's not just uh, another transportation vendor Charging a couple bucks per ride, um, so we've seen that resonate with the market really, really well. And We've won deals head-to-head based on that uh, sense of alignment, um, both against comparable solutions and also against just transportation providers, um, you know, including some of the on-demand solutions out there. Uh, so that's that's one you know, big differentiator that we, we take pride in, um, that uh, that I think is, is chief among them. And, of course, we have other things in the pipeline um, that we think are going to be pretty transformative. Uh, One of those is the uh, coordination of of digital prior authorization. So if a hospital or or, uh, ACO needs to arrange a ride for a patient who requires a wheelchair accessible vehicle or a stretcher van or an ambulance, uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of paperwork and and back-and-forth faxing it can take just to get that cleared to be covered by insurance. So we thought, why not integrate that into the digital workflow within ride health when a coordinator is trying to arrange that ride? And what if we went out and researched all the form fields out there and distilled them into what you need? It's kind of like the way TurboTax distills the entire tax code of the United States in each individual state and city and just tells you, here's what we need from you. We can handle the rest and file everything. Uh, it's that type of experience for a care coordinator or a social worker who's just trying to get their patient a round-trip ride you know, with an ambulance or a hospital-to-hospital transfer but has no idea where to start. We guide them through that. So I think that's going to be really transformative, not only for that facility but for the, the health plan at the end of the day, which can mitigate waste, fraud, and abuse because now there's a digital paper trail around that. Yeah. And the transportation providers can obtain reimbursement for those rides and payment more easily and reliably than in a handwritten faxing world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, anyone can tell you that prior is just a dog in the industry and the fact that you're tackling that, uh, which I assume is, you know, a barrier for scale for you is fantastic. You're going upstream to make sure everyone's happy on the payer side and on the patient side. One question that just came to mind is, um, is how tech enabled does your patient population need to be? So, you know, I, I'm just trying to get a sense of it. So if we're saying that the 65-year-old market, for example, is fantastic, which I agree, um, they're driving less and they need rides more and all that, but I don't know if they all can use Uber, call an Uber or something like that. So how do you reach that non-tech-enabled patient?
1: Yeah, that's that's the beauty is that these patients don't need to have smartphones or even phones at all or be able to use technology Uh, because the whole experience is orchestrated by their care coordinator or social worker. I mean, we do have a patient self-scheduling module, and in some cases, coordinators are giving patients the ability to self-schedule, but that's, that's the exception rather than the rule. Uh, so you take your average situation with a social worker trying to get a, a 75-year-old patient um, you know, with, with round-trip transportation you know, arranged to a cardiac rehabilitation appointment. Uh, so let's say this patient um, you know, doesn't even have a cell phone. They just have a home phone we can still call that patient's home phone and give them all the details about their ride that they need to have a successful pickup experience. And then we can also have a care a care coordinator as a clinical contact designated to help with the ride back home. And our system makes it really easy to figure out who's the point of contact for which ride uh, so that the driver has a way of always reaching someone who's relevant at that time and place um, to have the patient be helped you know, in and out of the vehicle. Um, so at a high level, systems-wise, we can send SMS text messages to people who have mobile phones and can text. We can also yep. send voice calls to your mobile phones and home landlines. So it makes it accessible for virtually any type of patient. And then for somebody who travels without a mobile phone and they want to you know, call their ride back home when they're done with their appointment or when they're being discharged, uh, they can call into our system using a phone at the facility, like a desk phone or a wall phone, type in their 10-digit phone number, look up their ride, call their ride, hear the driver's details live on the line, write them down, and then go outside and find them. And they can do that all independently. It's really life-changing for someone who's used to depending on others, relying on others, being beholden to others, to just navigate a simple ride experience to be able to do that on their own. Um, And and so that's the level of accessibility that we're thinking about and and enabling. uh, That's
0: fantastic. That is fantastic. well, in every kind of uh, podcast episode, we do discuss how MBAs might be able to get involved with your company, your project, your initiative. Um, and I know that um, you're a small startup, but growing fast, very fast. Um, and typically, we've seen with our growth stage companies that there is not a specific MBA role or pipeline or opportunity, especially we're recording this in, in November and we don't, uh, you know, the semester doesn't end until May of the following year. so. No expectations there, but can you get us, give us a sense, I mean, of maybe how you thought about later on bringing on some NBA talent or um, even staying within the Penn community, things like that, just because I'm certain people have listened to the last 30 minutes and heard all these fantastic things about you and your company and, and might want to get involved somehow.
1: Yeah, yeah, as you said, it's a, a rapidly evolving situation, so we have a pretty hard time planning you know, that far ahead, but, but I think certainly by the spring, uh, there may be more clarity about you know specific roles, and as I said earlier, we're always happy to chat with people, whether they're you know MBAs or alumni listening to this and just want to get in touch and learn more. Uh, but uh, in general, you know, I think that any rapidly scaling company can benefit from the mindset and the, and the skill set that uh, you know, MBAs have, especially those that come from Wharton and from the healthcare management program specifically. I've met so many, and, and, and they're so brilliant. Um, and you know. The the challenges that we'll face in the future are similar to those of many, uh, you know, rapidly growing uh, healthcare companies where, uh, you know, we need to think about how we make our approach work in so many different places, Uh, you know, acknowledging regulatory nuances, uh, navigating the complex interrelationships between payers and healthcare providers, and uh, sort of adding the additional vector of transportation services to all of that. Uh, So, there's really, really complex business and policy challenges that we'll be facing and contending with in the coming months and years, Uh, where, you know, MBA backgrounds and experiences can be incredibly useful. Um, So, we're very open-minded about, you know, having diverse talent with lots of different kinds of experiences. And as of today, we don't really have anybody with an MBA on the team. That's not intentional. It's just more of a function of pay grade probably, (laughs) but um, we are are certainly open to to exploring that and figuring out how somebody could fit in um, to to the mix.
0: That's fantastic. Um, I would say, so I had two years of startup experience at a 15 uh, person company. And if I can read between the lines from what you just said, I'm hearing um, that if you have some expertise and if you have some hustle, um, come talk to us. That's what I'm hearing. Um, Exactly. you never know who could be useful, so um, uh, like I said, I mean, I also think you're you're hopefully going to get some inbound from the investor side from this podcast because there's so many uh, bells going off in my head in a good way that uh, you're so many trends you're riding and you've clearly thought through a lot of the vectors here. Um, one of the last things we like to close with is any last thoughts uh, you would have, and specifically, um, if you could also share some interactions maybe you've had with the uh, you know, Warden alumni community. People like to generally share that because folks on the ground here, we don't, we're getting our pen experience, but we don't always know how it's going to pay off down the road. People say, oh, the community, this, the community, that, but maybe you've had some interactions you could share uh, to give us a sense of how that's helped you scale. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, you know, even before uh leaving Penn and, and, and I found the, the community very helpful and I think that's even just grown since then. Uh, you know, credit due to the people who've worked hard to create the Wharton Healthcare Knowledge Network and, and the Healthcare Management Alumni Association uh, all the other, you know, less formal structures and communities. Um it's a it's a really tight knit community. So uh, a couple of ways we've we've really benefited. Um you know, there was uh, one of our our very first mentor and advisor, um, Jeff Levitt, uh, who's been an incredible supporter of ours. Uh, he sat on the, the Board of Overseers of the Leonard Davis uh, Institute, or the Executive Advisory Board, I believe. And, um, and, you know, the Leonard Davis Institute, which is one of the institutes within Wharton, um, and its director, Dan Polsky, have been incredibly helpful um, for us, uh, and, and just seems even more so every year. Um, and, uh you know, one of our uh, earliest investors um, and uh, advisors was a Warren MBA alum, um, Samer Malik, who, who went on to found OneDocWay, uh, which is now Genoa telepsychiatry. He's been incredibly helpful. Um, my first job is due to uh, Bernie Ziprich, who graduated uh, from the MBA program a, a few years ago. And um, he knew somebody at Mount Sinai and, and made the introduction. And so when I really think back on it, every single critical moment for us, for myself personally and for our company, um, has has been not too far away from or has been directly because of uh, a member of of the Wharton MBA community or just the broader Wharton and and Leonard Davis sort of healthcare industrial complex. Um, So I owe a lot to them. Our organization owes a lot to them. And uh, I'm sure that will continue. And I look forward to being able to give back and uh, help other folks who are coming out of the programs think about how they can navigate. Um, to do things. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great question to ask and certainly thought provoking one.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Well, you, you certainly have, um, jumped on the right lily pads at the right time, um, and taken some significant risk to, to get where you are and your growth is an indication of your success. So uh, we absolutely wish you all the best and thank you so much for coming on. Um, for folks listening, uh, You've really heard, I, I believe, you You really heard um, a world, world-class young CEO who's been able to um, take a non-traditional healthcare tech platform and scale it quite fast. Uh, if you're interested, uh, reach out and see, see what kind of magic you can make happen. Imran, thank you so much for joining the podcast.
1: Thank you so much as well, Rohan. Uh, it's a pleasure to have uh, chatted with you, and I look forward to hearing from the community.